everyone. Hey guys. Welcome. We have a new setup that we're very excited about. So if yeah. we sound different, it's still us, just with a new and improved recording studio. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we bought a new microphone and um, if the audio therefore is a bit different and you hear us in different like tones and whatever, that's why. But yeah, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So today we have a topic and it is addiction. And we kind of came up with this topic because of a request, which was alcoholism, but we thought we would make it a wider theme. Yeah, we really like when you guys send us requests and addiction is a great topic and <laughs> very fitting to the topic. We're drinking a glass of uh, Prosecco. We are. Hey guys, uh, this is Lola. I'm actually just editing the episode and I'm jumping in real quick. I noticed after listening to it that we seem a bit harsh and kind of mean. And I just wanted to apologize in advance and say that maybe it came from a place of us being really close to addicts in our families. And that's a really hard experience to go through. And it was a tough topic to um, relate to and kind of bring experiences from our own lives, seeing as we are not addicts ourselves. If we were offensive in any way, I am so sorry. So addiction is a very wide topic, but we thought we would kind of focus in the beginning on substance addiction, because obviously behaviors can be addictive and a lot of things can be addictive, but we'll start with substances. So what is addiction in that sense? Exactly. So addiction is basically a very complex condition that shows and is manifested through a compulsive craving of a substance or a behavior, what you just mentioned. So habit. Right. And it's much more than or being dependent on something. Yeah. It really is the center of your life. It's the center of your life and you just cannot go without it. And it's almost like an external force that is like taking over you and your life and you um, have no control over it, more or less. And just to take away that there, there is a huge biological side to addiction. We are aware of the fact that addiction is something that really shows up in your brain like there is a huge impact on your brain function on your brain's reward system but we are no neurologists yeah so addiction is a in psychoanalysis we call it a defense so we use addiction as a defense against mostly anxiety and low self-esteem and it really protects people of a feeling of helplessness or powerlessness. And it's an attempt to kind of compensate for these feelings. And once you kind of get that first feeling of, oh, wow, I finally forgot about everything or these extreme anxieties that I had were gone and I didn't have to think about anything, you kind of get addicted to that feeling. And the drug is kind of a tool to get back to that state of mind. 
specifically things that you are consuming through your mouth obviously go back to a very early age where we'll talk about it again i know it's repetitive <laughs> but you had your mother's breast which was your first kind of addiction and it was what gave you the sense of feeling complete and nourished and satisfied and gave you a lot of pleasure. So that definitely relates to things that you are orally addicted to, like, for example, alcohol or cigarettes or cigarettes or, yeah, all kinds of things. And it's it's interesting that a lot of addictions, when you talk about substances, do start with the mouth. I know that it sometimes goes to a point of being um, injected, but that's definitely not where it started. Mm, very true. I think there are just so many perspectives from where you can look at addiction. Like there are so many theories about it. But one that for me also just makes a lot of sense is what you just mentioned that we as humans, we all have inner conflicts, right? We all have sides of ourselves, of our experiences that we repress. At least that's what, believe, what we believe in psychoanalysis and that we therefore don't want to and cannot deal with. And those are things that you're probably not even aware of. That's why we speak of the unconscious. And every single individual has their own set of defense mechanisms, like whether it be just repressing it or denying it or projecting it onto someone else. And some people deal with it through numbing it. But we also talk about addiction from a narcissistic point of view. And if you haven't listened to our episode on narcissism, I can highly recommend you do that, where we dove into that um, topic. But narcissism definitely also plays a role in the, in the topic of addiction. In narcissism, we develop this false self, which is, I think, the driving force of the addict, because I think addicts, what they do in general is that they, they really create this false self and everything else is completely unacceptable or doesn't fit in with this false self that they've developed. And when they are under the influence of substances, they can really live in this fantasy that they have kind of created and they can pretend that they are this version of themselves that they really strive to be or are convinced that they are. It's, it's extremely narcissistic in a way because also as an addict, the only thing that matters is yourself and feeding your addiction and getting what you need. So everyone around you also doesn't really matter as a separate object. They're just people who can help you maintain this idea of the false mm. self that you've created. And they're not people. They're just kind of tools to get you what you need, which is really similar to what we talked about in narcissism. When you, as an addict, you also manipulate people and you use them to help you maintain this this vision of yourself and this vision of yourself is so important because underlying that character you've created is extreme low self-esteem and emptiness and really i think most addicts are covering a severe depression yes it's it's really 
protecting you actually from going down a hole which you may never come out of because you're extremely depressed underneath that addiction and of course feeling um, euphoric and feeling like you are in control of everything and the world is yours is much better than feeling extremely low and hating yourself and sometimes wanting to die mm. so it's it's kind of reasonable if you think about it from their perspective to try to maintain this no matter what no matter what the risk is or what they have to give up because the other side is almost hell or like really really hard to go through yeah and i have i think a very good example from my life from that where i i know someone who is an addict an alcohol addict and this person has been a diagnosed addict for um, eight years and who knows when the addiction really started probably much earlier than that but the diagnosis came eight years ago and um, the thing is with addicts we are always taught in university <laughs> that addicts are patients that are the most manipulative and the best liars mm -hmm. out of everyone are addicts and um, which is probably because they lie to themselves so much to maintain that that false self of course and they've become masters in getting what they need which is not always so easy exactly and the interesting thing is this person in my in my environment is so in denial about their condition and i know that a relapse is a part of an addiction like it's definitely something that can happen once or twice or every few years but this person that I'm talking about has a relapse approximately once a year, which is just frankly spoken way too much. Mm -hmm. That just means they're still an addict, like, like really in their addiction, still in their active addiction, um, I believe. But when you talk to this person, they speak very openly about their addiction, which kind of seems to other people like they're very self-aware and very reflected you know they talk about their their rehab situations and how it was and their therapy and blah 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 but they almost talk about it like like this person almost talks about it like this happened 30 years ago mm -hmm. and like they don't see that this happened one year ago and that they've been putting everyone in their environment through absolute hell because everyone is so worried and is constantly looking for new treatments but this person is obviously so unwilling to change or so unwilling to put in effort because they're so in denial that it's it's really hard but it's interesting for me to observe because um i just see that and i'm like are you so delusional it's almost like they're psychotic they're really living in their own world where as you said they are the epicenter of their universe and nothing else matters and their truth is like the truth yeah which is crazy because that is literally the definition of narcissism yeah and i think that really proves the point of these people being extremely narcissistic because of their denial mm. and it's like the refusal to admit who you are is so narcissistic yeah. and they're really good at convincing other people that they are this other person and 
Also, they're really good at convincing other people that they're not using. Yes. Because they're just such good actors. And then everyone is so surprised Every when it time. comes out again that they have been found unconscious somewhere or, you know, that it basically flared up again. And everyone is like, oh my God, but this person was doing so well. And yeah. it's like, the like I just feel so bad for the people always in the environment of an addict because there's so much pain involved and so much effort into their treatment and um it's so it's so bad for a person to be an addict like it's yeah i also have an addict that's pretty close to me and it's so crazy for me how i also fall into it and i end up giving him what he wants and i have no idea how but he's been able to fund his addiction by getting money from everyone and mm. everyone always gives it to him every time and they're not stupid they know what's going on but he is just so good at making people feel sorry for him and also when i don't know when the substances run out or it's not enough or he needs something more he's like this he's almost addicted to attention mm. so he makes you feel really guilty for not paying attention to him and he uses himself as a threat which is crazy to me but everyone falls for it every time like he says these lines which you have to take seriously for example well if you leave me alone i don't know what i'll do to myself And then, of course, everyone freaks out and runs to him and takes care of him and shows him that they care. But it's just false. It's just this manipulation also to make people so empathetic and so helpless towards him that, again, they end up enabling him to continue his addiction. It's really just a tool to get what you want. So another um, explanation for addiction in psychoanalysis is that it's a disorder of self-regulation. People who are addicts or have an addiction as kids or at a really young age, they definitely went through trauma. And this can be any kind of trauma. And of course, trauma is very relative. So. Carla's trauma is completely different to mine. Mm. But it is found over and over again that addicts have experienced some kind of abuse or some childhood trauma. And at the time of this trauma, of course, they were at such a young age where they didn't have the tools or the knowledge to regulate all these negative emotions that really stays with you and it kind of stops you from dealing with negative things throughout your life it really stays when they find this way of kind of pushing down these horrible memories that they have or these horrible feelings that they used to have um, it becomes almost like the only solution or this magic miracle cure so it's really like a self-medication it really is it's almost like an anesthesia if you think about it if we're talking about certain drugs or alcohol which is such a common addiction 
um, in most countries and especially Austria, um, it really works like an anesthesia. Like you, you're really able to escape those ugly feelings that are considered negative, like depressive feelings, aggression, feelings of insufficiency that are all related to narcissism, as you said before. And all of a sudden it's like, poof, you know, they disappear, they're not there anymore. So of course you keep coming back for that tool to not feel this anymore. So it's a real regression into, because if you were like acting mature in a sense, you would like face it. Yeah. Um, but, but you can't. Yeah. And I think the, the part of addiction that really makes me empathetic is that, you know, other people who had a different upbringing were really supplied by the people around them and supported in a way that they're able to regulate their emotions and they're able to deal with also hardships and negative things or even horrible things that happen later in life. But I think as an addict, you were just exposed to things that were too hard way too early. And in that sense, it is very hard to kind of navigate through life if you don't even have, you know, these basic tools of if something bad happens, I know how to calm myself down or I know how to make myself feel, like, feel better. And it is really sad that the only thing that can make them feel better is to kind of numb the pain or turn towards a substance. Yeah, and I think at this point, though, it's also important to to say again that we all have our mechanisms to deal with regulating ourselves because I'm also, even though I go to therapy so much, and I think I can say the same for you, if I'm being overwhelmed by certain emotions, it's really hard, hard for me to regulate myself. But I am not an addict. I do that otherwise. So we all have our methods to deal with with, with things and what differentiates me from from an addict is my individual experiences my upbringing like there's so many factors that play into this because what you said makes a lot of sense right for example if you don't learn as a little child to soothe yourself to calm yourself down maybe later in your life you turn to alcohol maybe you turn to drugs but maybe you turn to I don't know, having, quote unquote, a bad habit of like eating late at night or exercise or exercising. Yeah. So it doesn't always need to be a pathological addiction because we are all different individuals with different sets of defense mechanism mechanisms. But that is also what um, what happens in addicts a lot. Yeah. And I think us especially, we didn't kind of choose this. Of course, you don't choose it, but we didn't go down the route of addiction, but we could have, first of all, easily. And also we live in a constant state of anxiety, <laughs> <laughs> which is something that addicts avoid. And you know what? Maybe it would have been smarter for us to develop some kind of addiction to avoid this anxiety. So the actual reason for turning to substances is not a stupid one yeah it makes sense and that's something that i read recently which i thought was very interesting but like every psychological 
illness, but not necessarily even an illness, but just like every psychological mechanism that a person has, and we all have them, makes sense for that person. For whatever you're going through, it makes sense. So for an addict, being an addict makes a whole lot of sense because they don't have to deal with that. Yeah. And for me, my behavior makes a lot of sense because then I don't have to deal with my shit. But it's interesting what you say, just real briefly, because I don't know about you, but I very, very often get the question, because I'm in therapy so much, in individual therapy, in group therapy, in supervision, like if I'm not like so good, you know, mentally. And the funny thing is, I'm good, but I've never been so anxious yeah. as right now because you're digging up all this shit that you've always repressed through behavior, through patterns, through whatever. And now it's all, or a lot of it, is in the present. And it's really overwhelming. It is. And I think it's super interesting when you think about how you feel. Because objectively, I, I could say for both of us, actually, that our, our interpersonal lives or our relationships with other people and how we behave has improved like drastically yeah so i would say from the outside we're doing so well but i think to make that happen your inner world really goes through some chaos it's like that avocado that's like really nice on the outside but then you hope yes. it's all brown <laughs> and hopefully we'll get to the but point it's really good that's the key well hopefully we'll get to the point where our inner world becomes more stable and regulated but i think you definitely have to give up some peace of mind for sure to improve what you do in your everyday life but i it's really interesting because it almost feels like it should be the opposite yeah like to me i think if you're in therapy and you're working on yourself and everything that happened to you it to me i would think that your inner world kind of gets some peace but maybe you're not as accessible to everyone else. Mm. But it's really been the opposite. Like yeah. I'm socially striving <laughs> <laughs> and my mind is a mess. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, totally. Uh, I think it's very funny. It's a misconception. So um, before we recorded, uh, we talked a bit about what we're going to talk about on the podcast, which we always do. And we both kind of came to the conclusion that we don't consider ourselves like addictive people in any sort of way right yeah. like i don't f i was thinking okay what kind of addiction do i have but actually i really don't think i have one because even intuitively i would say caffeine because i drink a lot of coffee but the thing is i also go a day without drinking coffee and an addict a true addict like cannot do that yeah or even gets physically ill i've never been yeah sick from not consuming something true and for me the interesting thing is also I, I realized that um last year i was working in a psychiatry and i had a patient that i saw regularly who was a severe alcoholic and i saw him frequently and regularly and i had really good therapy with him but also during that time i learned that i don't know i really could not stand him <laughs> like this is gonna sound really harsh but i think it's really important to recognize the people you can work with yeah. and cannot work with 
and I thought thought it was very interesting working with him while I did it. It was it was good. I learned a lot, but I I feel like I was empathetic and everything, and I could um like dive into a story, but because I feel like I'm so the opposite. I just cannot relate to it. So I had real problems dealing with him and his personality because he was such a narcissist Yeah. in a very covert way. So he would always tell these stories. Is that really the opposite of you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, no. But I mean the addictive behavior. Yeah. The addictive behavior. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not a narcissist. As we discussed, we all are. But I just I just deal with it differently. But listen to this. For example, the first session we had, he told me about some things that happened to him as a student. And they were things like he would walk on the street and get beaten up. Mm-hmm. Horrible things like that was were really traumatic to him. Yeah. And the first time I talked to him, I felt so bad for him. And I was really empathetic. And then four sessions later, he told me the same stories, just in different locations. Okay. You know what I mean? So, and then I realized, like, I cannot believe this guy. Like, I'm not sure if I can believe him. And that's also when I learned firsthand that, yeah. alcohol, like, addicts can be so manipulative and really make you believe things. And I totally fell for it because he wanted my pity. And also he, he succeeded in a way because he did. But then I just got so angry at him. I didn't express it, but I went home and I was like, ah, I, I really don't want to see this guy again. I also couldn't put myself in his shoes because addiction is nothing that I can relate to because I, I'm just, I, I don't consider myself an addictive person in that way. Yeah, but it's interesting because I always think that there's, or I have a thought, I don't know if it's correct, but I always think that there's no way that I could hate somebody who is the opposite of me. Like, I don't think we hate people that are the opposite of us. I think we actually like them. Yeah. Like, he he must have triggered you in some way. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even, mm-hmm. like, you felt there was some similarities between you and you could have ended up like that. That's interesting that you mention it because um, there's definitely a part of that that's very relatable and true. Um, because I didn't I didn't hate him. But what I felt while I was talking to him was very often that I almost thought, ugh, come on, just like learn how to discipline yourself, which is such a ridiculous thing because addiction is a disease. It's an illness. It's like it's really not, it's like when someone is depressed and you're like, come on, just stop being sad. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's the dumbest thing you can say. Yeah. But I, I caught myself thinking that. And it was almost more projected towards myself because I'm such a rigid and almost over, overly stressed and like strict person to myself. So yeah, it's almost like, like there is a part of me that's like, oh, damn, I wish I could like yeah, maybe. repress just some shit. And like, not that I wish that I could be an addict, but I get where you come from. And that's a very interesting point of view. Yeah, I always feel that the people that I'm like drawn to or attached to or really really like are the ones that are the most different to me yeah and when i'm similar to someone in a way that i don't like that's when i'm annoyed or pissed off or like don't want to be around them 
But maybe it's not always a similarity. Maybe it's just a... But maybe it's not always a similarity, but maybe it's also sometimes the opposite. Because remember in the episode on aggression, we also mentioned bullies and how... Yeah. Why bullies always bully other people. It's because you recognize a part of yourself in them. Yeah. But maybe in this case, for me, it's a recognized... What you don't want to be or what, what you do want to be. What I do want to be. And okay. with that, I don't mean an addict, but someone who is a bit more loose. In denial. <laughs> a bit more in denial. Yes. Exactly. It would be nice to be a bit more in denial, I think. <laughs> it really would be. <laughs> but what about you? You also mentioned that you're not really an addictive person. I really question this so much. And I had this in my therapy and I just didn't understand because there are some addicts in my family and I always wondered why am I not one? Because we went through the same things. We had the same upbringing. So why is one an addict and the other isn't? And it's crazy because I got an answer and it's so simple you did yeah it's so simple and it's exactly what we were saying before um the person who's an addict repressed the trauma that we went through oh yeah and i didn't so i'm living in the anxiety and i'm thinking about these things all the time and the other person doesn't have a chance to think about it or reflect on it so he has to medicate himself and it's so weird how simple it is. Like I have the answer, but it still leaves still me shit. like so uneasy because yeah. I think I feel bad then because what if, I don't know. I just, it gives me a feeling of guilt because I'm lucky that I remember something. I don't have an addiction. You're just neurotic. Yeah, I'm very but, neurotic. But, but that's the thing. I remember once a professor in our class said like, guys, it's all fine. Everyone here, we're just neurotics. Yeah, true. And like neurotics are people who are like, can basically still function in everyday life. Like you only have anxiety or you only, only, I mean, quote unquote, have a depression or something, but you still live in this real world. You're still in the present and you are aware of where you are. But, um, it doesn't mean it's nicer or better, but you can function better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's exactly what we said before. Objectively, I function in a much better way. And it's because I have memories, which is something that we really underestimate. Yeah. But because I remember, I'm able to live in the world in an, I don't know, more functional way. Mm. But something else that's really interesting is that our professor, our professors and also our therapist has said a few times that you can't put an addict on the couch. So which means he cannot go to psychoanalysis. So we are learning how to be psychoanalysts. And I think most of our patients will be in a more classical setting, maybe not, but um, it's interesting that they're actually not really treatable by us in what we are learning. Yeah, because imagine someone has a severe addiction and has used that addiction to cope with said trauma or whatever they're repressing. And then all of a sudden they're lying on the couch and they're supposed to work through that. It's probably just way too much. It's like 
with with someone who's a schizophrenic yeah these there are these coping mechanisms like addiction like psychosis that are so intense like you really i mean addiction is is, is still not a psychosis but it's like almost borderline psychosis and so you have these really intense strong defense mechanisms to cope with whatever you went through and then I think when you when you force these people to work through it, it's it's too much. It will literally kill them. Yeah. So the the reason that they gave us was exactly that. And it was that if you're somebody who has an addiction and you're in a setting where you're laying on a couch and you're kind of free to think about whatever comes to mind and go back to this place of being a child, there's often such intense traumas that you forgot or that you had to forget to function and it's just too much regression it's way too much regression which is going back yeah and kind of re-entering this period of your life and i think there's a real danger in it which makes it really interesting because there's such manipulative kind of powerful people because they have so much power over other people but in reality they're so fragile so fragile and And if you push them in the wrong way Mm -hmm. it could all really just come crashing down so i think that's also why people must be so careful around them Mm. because they know that if they press the wrong button or do something that triggers them it can really be the end yeah that makes a lot of sense but nevertheless like addicts obviously should be treated if they have access to it but maybe just not psychoanalytically or yeah or if you're really skilled and trained i'm sure there are cases where it works but generally an addict should really go to rehab and then always therapy yeah and i think the type of therapy that's much more useful for somebody who has an addiction is a therapy that really um, focuses on the present and how to cope with things. Yeah, like if that craving comes up, which it definitely does every day, what can I do now? Yeah. And not like, oh, what happened when I was four what, months old? Exactly, or let me go back to my childhood and re-experience all the horrible things that happened <laughs> to me. So I think it's it's much more useful if anybody knows an addict or is an addict to go for a more tool-based, present-based therapy. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say this, but... Cognitive behavioral (laughs) therapy, which is the nemesis of psychoanalysis. (laughs) But yeah, definitely more useful, I think, in this case. Because also in psychoanalysis, we don't have much theory about addiction. And we really don't have much writing about addiction. And I think it's because there's a real problem in treating them psychoanalytically so we have established that we don't really have addictive personalities but if you were to talk about any kind of addiction that you do have what would you come up with so (laughs) i think i have a lot of compulsive behavior Mm -hmm. which could be related to addiction but i think it's a different topic um but funnily enough once I was in therapy talking, what do you talk in therapy? And then my therapist said, 
um, that I am addicted to the way I'm being treated in certain settings. Yeah. Especially when it comes to relationships, but also not only romantic relationships, but also in other group dynamics. And I thought that it was a very provocative and harsh statement. I get where he comes from. But personally, I think that is more related to attachment styles, which is another episode that we will do, which is like my favorite topic ever. Stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. But there is definitely something to be said, like if I reflect on myself, that I do seek out a feeling when other people treat me sometimes. I'm not sure if this makes sense when you hear it. And I don't think it's it's an addiction. But um, yeah, I definitely am prone. I'm, I'm quite compulsive in a lot of ways. I always have been also as a child. Like um, I always, whatever. I have, <laughs> I don't even know. There's so many, I don't know where to start. Like exercising and stuff, but also through going to psychoanalysis a lot. It yeah. has loosened up a lot, which again is just nothing that I would consider an addiction. If I had to choose something, it really would be caffeine, coffee, because I maybe, like I have a coffee, I have coffees every day, and maybe once a month I have one day where I don't drink one. Okay. But I don't think that's that's diagnosable as an addiction. Yeah. What about you? I think if I were to think of yeah not my addiction or probably just the most addictive like thing in my life it would definitely be um an addiction to feeling acknowledged or admired narcissism fair enough fair enough i totally uh forgot that (laughs) oh i totally (laughs) repressed that so like when i'm feeling low the best thing possible is if somebody else gives me positive attention. Yeah. And then I feel great again. And I feel like that is very similar to how an addict must feel. Yeah. When they get their Dude, stuff. Honestly, honestly, this is where we come back to also a biological thing in our brain. Yeah. Um, there is just a reward system that we have. So if you crave something and then you get it, it's like a reward and you want more and more. And it's like... Uh, and I definitely live by that it's really embarrassing for me to admit it but if i'm feeling like shit and whatever i feel what do you ugly do? like do you hit someone up <laughs> if i feel ugly or like stupid or whatever weird um i make myself go to like some kind of social event and then I, chances are i'm gonna get one compliment and yeah. then i feel great yeah but that's a very that's a very normal functioning addiction, I feel like. And that's also more related to narcissism, which is why we did this episode this week, because it's so related to narcissism, what we just recently had. But it's so funny because I said I, I forgot it, mm-hmm. that I also do that, of course. Ever since we started studying psychoanalysis, there is no such thing as saying you forgot something, which is super annoying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every time, even if you go to class and the professor is like, whatever i'm just giving a stupid example hand into paper and you would be like oh oh my god i'm so sorry i forgot that we had a paper due they would definitely be like "Mm, 
Did you forget though? I think it was more of a repression. Yeah, and the worst whatever. thing ever is being late. Yeah. You cannot be late at our university because everybody will analyze why you are late. Exactly. Including the professor. But the funny thing is, I always get annoyed because sometimes you're just late. But if someone else comes late, I'm also like, ooh. I'm like, interesting. Somebody wants attention today. <laughs> Which is funny because we're both people who are always on time. Yeah. Hmm. Never late. It's because uh, we're people pleasers and we want people to accept us and we're acknowledge the, us. We're the biggest covert narcissist, yes. basically. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. Um, but if you're listening to this right now, maybe take a second to think if there is an addiction that you have and if it's not so obvious as something like a substance or a yeah an addictive behavior or even just a habit that you have yeah and if you know somebody who's an addict they're really good at what they do and they're very good at tricking people and they're very good in denying as well and also don't blame yourself and don't feel guilty because they are just really skilled we're mostly talking about unconscious behavior. Like these people probably are not even aware of the effect that they have on their environment. And they're not aware of what they're, what they're doing when they're treating and, other people. Yeah. And the crazy thing is this person who I know who's an addict, it's not on purpose. It's not something that he plans to do, but he is genuinely convinced that he deserves everything that he gets. Yeah. And that it's fair and that people should give him whatever he wants. So it's a, it's a genuine belief. It's a denial. It's not him trying to harm others. Actually, Sigmund Freud was like a huge coke. No, addict. I disagree. You disagree? I disagree. Okay, listen to listen what I have to say. I wrote a paper on this. Okay, fair enough. But okay, then you will you will correct me on okay. this. Okay. I'll debate. Yeah. So Freud experimented a lot with cocaine. Yes. So he prescribed it to patients and he did use it for psychoanalytic and psychotherapeutic purposes. Yes. So he didn't use it because he went partying every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I have researched and of course also if you experiment with it and you write so many papers and he was probably up all night all the time. Um, that's at least how I imagine him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was consuming cocaine a lot. And I think, um, I think also just considering that he died of, uh, what did he die again? Cancer okay, of yeah, the tongue cancer. and throat because he was smoking so much, which is an indicator that he might just be a relatively addictive personality. So I could imagine that he was a coke addict. Okay, so I will agree that he was addicted to cigarettes and cigars or whatever because I know that um, when he was sick, they told him that he needs to stop smoking and he said no. Mm. <laughs> okay, I agree with that, but he was not a cocaine addict because I wrote a paper on this and our professor also agreed with me. Oh, okay. Um, because he did a lot of research mm in this particular subject and Freud what he did was he took the cocaine to research it and he put the same amount every single time in a water solution okay and he made sure to like take it at the same time and it was extremely regulated and it was an experiment all right and he took this and wrote about it every time 
So for him, it was research and maybe physically, I would agree with you, maybe he became addicted. But as soon as he realized that the substance was not beneficial, he completely stopped. All right. Okay, then I have to take that back. And also, I think we always have to see it in the context of time. And back then, cocaine really just came up. So even if he had been addicted, it would probably not have been considered an addiction because there was just no research out on this substance yet in Europe. So it was probably like almost like considered like taking a certain medicine or something like drinking a coffee every day. It was just all Freud. It's like, and they were, yeah. And they were taking this cocaine every day. They were putting cocaine in wine at the time. Yeah. And he gave cocaine to his patients. So it was really not like a... It wasn't uh, a typical drug like we would consider today. Exactly. And it's really interesting, though, that people try to discredit him by saying that he was a coke addict and that it spanned over many years. Because if you actually look at the time period, it's in a time frame of, I think, one year or two. Oh, okay. So it was actually a really short part of his career. So it's not like he was high when he was writing all these (laughs) theories. But it's so funny because there are such funny memes of like Freud. I saw this one where he's like doing a line of cocaine and -hmm. you can see him taking the line and then like sniffing and then being like, okay, so basically you want to fuck your parents. Exactly. (laughs) It was so funny. But that is like a just a perfect example of how people try to devaluate others because their opinions or thoughts somehow make them uncomfortable or they want to find a reason why Freud shouldn't be listened to or respected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Freud was not a cocaine (laughs) addict. I'm sorry. have to correct myself there, but I think we can leave it at that. Thank you guys very much for listening again to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And we have a huge surprise for next week. We're so excited. We've been actually teasing the surprise. But it's really happening this time. And next week is happening. So guys, stay tuned. It's going to be fun. If we can manage to like figure out this new setup with the microphone. But we'll, we'll manage. We'll manage. We'll get through the technical difficulties. Yeah. And always, as always, please let us know what you think of this episode. If you have any requests, any comments, criticism. We also got our first hate comment on Instagram, which was a big, big moment for us. Go check it out. Go, go <laughs> check it out on our Instagram. Let us know if you find it. It's actually it's really, great. It's hilarious. It's amazing. Um, and thank you to all the people who helped us with the logo and illustration or whatever. Thanks for all your advice. And yeah, it's. It's exciting times. It's coming along. A lot of stuff <laughs> is going to happen, which is really cool. So thank you guys. Thanks guys. And have a good day.